Welcome to The CrocCast, a podcast for peace studies conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies, part of the Keough School of Global Affairs. Erin Corcoran, the Executive Director of the Kroc Institute for International Peace Studies and an Associate Teaching Professor at the Keough School of Global Affairs. Today, I'm joined by Tona Boyd, a 2003 Notre Dame graduate and Peace Studies alum who is now working as Chief Counsel to Senator Cory Booker on the Senate Judiciary Committee. Welcome, Tona. Just a note, Tona is participating here on this CrocCast as an alumni of the Kroc Institute, and she's speaking in her personal capacity. The views that she expresses here today are not the views of the U.S. Senate or the office of Senator Cory Booker. So thank you for being here today, Tona. We appreciate it. Thank you for having me, Erin. We want to talk today about where studying peace can take you, as well as Tona's legislative work, especially on the recent Justice and Policing Act. But to start with, Tona, why did you choose to pursue peace studies minor during your time here at Notre Dame? So my interest in peace studies and the Kroc Institute actually originates before I started my freshman year at Notre Dame. When I was a junior in high school, I attended a week-long program called the Global Issues Seminar, which was housed in the Kroc Institute and created in partnership with Kroc legend and Professor George Lopez, as well as Joan Ball, who was a pre-college programs director at the time. And it was through that program that I really got a preview of all that the Kroc and Notre Dame had to offer in terms of an education steeped in the pursuit of social justice. So as high schoolers, we had presentations from faculty across subject matters. So that included history and law, sociology, anthropology, theology, as well as peace studies. And it was really there that I truly fell in love with Notre Dame and the Croc and ultimately why I ended up choosing to come to Notre Dame as an undergrad and minor in peace studies. Yeah, that's a terrific program, and we still have Croc faculty that do that in the summer and, in fact, participated this summer remotely for us as well. So that's so great to hear that it was such an instrumental part of your decision to come to Notre Dame and study peace. And so now you're chief counsel to Senator Cory Booker on the U.S. Senate Judiciary Committee. Can you talk a little bit about how you got from Notre Dame to where you are now? Sure. So it is hard for me to admit and believe that that path is now almost 20 years long. (laughs) So my interest in sort of these issues was piqued by the Global Issues Seminar, as I was just saying. And so I really was interested in international human rights law when I came to Notre Dame. So while at Notre Dame, I really tried to take advantage of every opportunity to learn about the field. So that meant in the classroom, double majoring in political science and Spanish with that minor in peace studies, but also it meant all of the opportunities that I really got to take advantage of at Notre Dame outside of the classroom. So that was spending a year studying abroad in Spain to doing a summer service learning project in Honduras. And, you know, I even had the opportunity to collaborate on my senior honors thesis with the Kroc Institute and the political science department, which I wrote on sort of the anti-apartheid movement and comparing it to the U.S. civil rights movement. So when I graduated from Notre Dame, I knew very much that I wanted to go to law school. And at the time, I wanted to study international human rights law, but I hoped to gain some experience before going to law school. So I took three years off and spent some time trying to dive into 
into those issues. And that included, you know, another stop at the Kroc Institute. So I really do owe the Kroc a lot here. But I spent sort of my first few months out of college at the Carter Center Office of Human Rights. And then I came back to the Kroc Institute to do some human rights research with George Lopez and David Courtright at their Sanctions and Security Office. And it was after that that I ended up heading to law school. And in law school, my my sort of focus quickly changed from international human rights work that I had focused on so much in undergrad to really focusing on civil rights and the racial justice movement in the United States. So I tried to spend my time in law school in the same way that I did, you know, at Notre Dame, taking advantage of every opportunity inside and outside of the classroom to learn about the the field and hone my skills and passion. So I had a lot of amazing opportunities there to go abroad to South Africa, finally, and do some housing rights work to doing clinical work on other racial justice issues like educational equity and employment rights. And it was in my final year of law school that I really landed on what has been the passion in my career, and that is criminal law and civil rights. And so in my final year of law school, I was a public defender for that third year where they you know, allow you to practice in court as a law student. And it was after that that I ended up landing my dream job after I graduated from law school at the Department of Justice Civil Rights Division in their criminal section. And I spent sort of eight years there focused on holding law enforcement officers accountable for constitutional violations and prosecuting hate crimes and investigating human trafficking. And it was there that I really honed my expertise before coming to join Senator Booker two years ago. Quite a great list of experiences that you've been involved in. And I think kind of building on each other, right, to kind of get you to where you are now. Can you talk a little bit about what your role is as chief counsel and then maybe talk a little bit about what you do for Senator Booker and the Judiciary Committee? Sure. So, you know, as chief counsel, it's my responsibility to advise Senator Booker on all matters related to the judiciary portfolio, which is a pretty diverse portfolio. It includes you know, everything from criminal justice reform, constitutional law, civil rights, immigration, antitrust, intellectual property, firearms, privacy, judicial nominations. It's really a grab bag of a lot of exciting issues. And so it's my responsibility to stay on top of not only what is coming through the Judiciary Committee with respect to those subjects, but also current events, anything happening that Congress could respond to and legislate on within that portfolio. I try to stay on top of that. So there really isn't, honestly, a run-of-the-mill day there, which is, you know, part of what makes the job so fun and exciting. But when the Senate is in session, you know, I will help prepare Senator Booker for any hearing that is going to come before the committee. I will make sure he is briefed on any topic that he would potentially go and talk publicly about with respect to the portfolio. And I also try to ensure that he is pushing forward all of his priorities in that space in terms of legislation and oversight. Great. Thank you. Yeah, you already mentioned that you worked for the U.S. Department of Justice and specifically the Office of Civil Rights, which is a federal agency within the U.S. government. Can you talk a little bit about how that is different than working for the U.S. Senate, sort of the difference between a federal agency versus the legislative branch 
Absolutely. You know, I, I had never spent any time on the Hill in my prior career. So it was really a steep learning curve for me coming to Congress. But as a prosecutor at the Civil Rights Division of DOJ, you know, I had this spectacular and awesome responsibility of representing the United States. So, you know, that was a role where impartiality, nonpartisanship, being a neutral arbiter of the law was critical to that role. So much so that some of the activities that I would engage in outside of my work were limited in scope because it was so important that, um, you know, I be a neutral advocate. So now, you know, obviously currently working for a progressive Democrat, it's entirely my job to pay attention to and engage in partisan politics. So it's sort of the opposite end of the spectrum there. And I would also say, you know, the being a litigator is super different from, you know, having a policy role. So, you know, while I was at DOJ, it was my job to enforce the laws, not to opine on or change or think about how they could be different. And at the Senate, you know, that's exactly my job. You know, I support the senator in actually writing the laws. So it's been really cool to get to see sort of both sides of that coin. Great. And you mentioned already a little bit about sort of the, the politics and the difference of how that plays out within the different branches. And we hear a lot these days, in particular, about how polarized politics have become. Do you find that polarization and partisanship in your work in the Judiciary Committee? Yes. I mean, I I definitely think, you know, the polarized climate, you know, 100% impacts not just the committee, but getting things done in Congress. If, If you can't find sort of common ground and compromise and work with folks who disagree with you, you can't get anything done in Congress. But one of the things I've so appreciated about working for Senator Booker is that I think he has been an amazing example and leader in terms of trying to set aside some of the politics of the time in an effort to get things done and and advance progress. So he often will speak about having sort of a courageous empathy and, and being able to work with folks across the aisle and get things done. And You know, I think that's been exemplified in the work that he was able to do in helping to lead the criminal justice reform effort last Congress with the passage of the First Step Act, which passed overwhelmingly in the Senate. There were more than 80 senators who voted for a progressive criminal justice bill. So while, you know, there is polarization in our politics, it's not impossible to get things done. So just sort of turning a little bit the spotlight to you specifically, you know, you received quite a bit of Twitter coverage during now Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation hearing. And what was it like to be in the spotlight, particularly on an issue that was receiving quite a bit of press attention? You know, that was totally wild. I'm just going to be honest. I am not on Twitter. I am not at all used to being in the spotlight in that way. So, you know, I'm very much used to being kind of a worker bee in the background. So, you know, it was very strange for a period to have people recognize me in the grocery store and come up and and say, you know, hello to me. So that was really wild. But it was also fun because folks who I hadn't spoken to in a really long time, you know, reached out, including lots of members of the Notre Dame family to say, you know, my gosh, is that you? And reconnect. So, you know, that was a difficult sort of period, a lot of hard work. So that provided a bit of lightness and levity to the moment. Yeah, and judicial confirmations are sort of a historical moments in the U.S. Senate. But you've also been involved in some other historical and less common moments even, including the impeachment trial of the current president. And you were responsible for doing some daily videos entitled Breaking Down Impeachment. 
Can you talk a little bit about those videos and what your goal was in those videos, which I have actually listened to and found really refreshing and helpful and, and educational. So what some of, some of your take on that? Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. You know, I was really, number one, embarrassed, and number two, convinced that my mother was the only person really watching those videos every day. But the goal there, you know, our communications team thought it was really important to sort of make sure that our office made the impeachment trial itself more accessible to the public in the same way that I think, you know, Senator Booker has a gift of taking complicated issues and making it accessible to a broader audience. Our goal was to sort of do that and boil it down daily, given the senator was on the Senate floor for the entire trial and, you know, not as accessible in that way. So that was our goal was to just kind of try to break it down, particularly since it was such a historic you know, moment. So now I want to turn a little bit to some of the work you've been really intimately and currently engaged in, which is the Justice and Policing Act, a bill that recently passed the House of Representatives. And maybe if you could talk a little bit about what your role in the Judiciary Committee has been with the Senate version of that bill. Absolutely. So, you know, I have to say it has absolutely been the honor of my career to work on the Justice and Policing Act. You know, Senator Booker authored and led the effort to build support for that bill, both in the Senate and in the House and frankly outside. And so to have a front seat to that process and to really to be his chief negotiator and sort of expert on the issue, having spent my prior career really steeped in and caring about these issues was just such an honor and, you know, something I will will forever remember and, and cherish having been a part of that. So for our listeners who are tuning into this podcast, what should they know about the bill? Why is it important? And why is your boss choosing to take such a prominent leadership role with this legislation? Sure. So, you know, I think... One thing that's important to note is that I think the conversation around racial justice and policing has been going on for decades in this country. And there are a lot of real civil rights stalwarts and heroes that have been trying to uplift this work for a very long time. And I think, you know, we found ourselves in an incredible and unprecedented moment for the movement for racial justice and policing, just seeing the outcry that has, you know, arisen in the wake of the tragic death of George Floyd and seeing, you know, frankly, people who are not as steeped in these issues finally awakening to those injustices and tragedies that, frankly, Black and Brown communities have been trying to elevate for a long time. It made this moment incredibly important and consequential that Congress not stay silent in the face of such an uprising. So the Justice and Policing Act is really an effort to not only respond to the current moment, but also to incorporate, you know, a lot of the work that has been done for decades by, you know, civil rights activists and lawmakers in an effort to hold police more accountable in this country. So You know, what the bill tries to do is to take a comprehensive approach to reforming policing by, number one, ensuring that law enforcement officers are held accountable in court when they violate the Constitution and the laws. Number two, that we create more transparency around law enforcement misconduct through, you know, the collection of data and then making that data public so that communities can hold their own law enforcement officers and agencies accountable. And finally, it seeks to transform police practices and training, frankly, so that we're not 
seeing these same tragedies caught on video over and over again. So I already mentioned that it passed in the House of Representatives. Do you anticipate there being obstacles to Senate passage to this legislation? And if so, what might those be? Yes. So, I mean, the Senate is such a unique body. It operates by unanimous consent, which means one single senator can prevent another from bringing a piece of legislation to a vote. And also, you know, it is controlled by a majority leader, Mitch McConnell, who I think has not expressed an interest in really pursuing police reform. So those are some pretty significant obstacles. But my boss, you know, Senator Booker's often calls himself a prisoner of hope. And, you know, I think we sort of saw some of the same barriers when we thought about how do we get criminal justice reform done? And lo and behold, you know, we were able to build a large coalition and have significant bipartisan support for that legislation. And so we're going to keep working to raise the profile of this bill, to make the public aware of it, to build support in the public within the Democratic caucus, and then across the aisle as well so that we could get something done here. Well, thank you. And thank you for the for your efforts on this sort of important and historic legislation. And just sort of to kind of come back around um, as we finish up, can you talk a little bit about how just generally your education in peace studies has informed your work in the profession? Sure. So for me, the Global Issues Seminar was obviously very formative in my choice of career and, and ending up at Notre Dame. And so I would say that you know, there's two pieces to sort of the role that it's played in my life. One, there's the education that I received in the classroom, which really gave me a great lens through which to view doing social justice work as a career and racial justice work, frankly, as a career. But I think another key component is the community really, that I experienced in being sort of a a member of the Kroc Institute or a member of the community formed by the Kroc Institute. So that's everything from mentors. You know, George Lopez has been a longtime mentor of mine and friend and has really helped to steer and guide me on my career path to really the inspiration that I found in, in all of the student practitioners at the Kroc Institute. You know, all the folks that were brought in to do their master's from across the world and really learning from their example and the example of their careers and as and being inspired by them as an undergrad. And now being a member of the alumni community, I think it's also really helpful in terms of knowing that there's a place I would have to go to touch base with folks and, and kind of go back to those roots. So it really has been a real blessing to have started off, you know, my education that way and and to get to continue to participate in the community. So I'm very grateful for, for those experiences. Well, thank you. And I know you're an incredibly busy woman with a very important job. So I just want to thank you for taking time to be here to share your experiences. And I know I have found it incredibly inspiring. You know, one of the things I love about being the executive director is getting to connect with our alumni and seeing sort of how they're taking their education and using it in the field. And your work is truly inspirational and we are very proud of you. So thank you again for being here and look forward to hearing about your future accomplishments years to come. So thank you, Tonya. Thank you so much, Erin. It was great to talk to you and take that stroll down memory lane. (laughs) Be well. listening to the CrocCast, Peace Studies Conversations convened by the University of Notre Dame's Croc Institute for International Peace Studies. 
You can find all episodes of the CrocCast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, and online at croc.nd.edu slash podcast. You can also rate and review our show, which will help more people to find us. For more updates and stories from the Croc Institute, follow us online on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram. Thanks for listening.